fall this way, but the sermon this morning, following the sermon series that I had prepared uh, several weeks ago now, is based on Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It deals with anger, keeping it under control. So here are these words that I think perhaps have become more timely given the circumstances which we have seen and experienced just in the last few days. Verse 26, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. That's Paul's word to the church. That's God's word to us through Paul's word. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. The most tempting. To play the victim, to fall into that role, to cry out in self-righteous indignation, and to revel at the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To take it, but also to be able to dish it out. To not just get mad, but get even. That can sound like a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that the skeleton at the feast is you. Anger, bitterness that is out of control or unresolved will destroy you and those around you. So let's look a little closer at at the scripture and see what we might learn and and draw from it. First of all, be angry. It's okay to be angry. That is part of who God made us to be. There are times when anger is appropriate. Matthew 21, verse 12 through 13, the well-known story, Jesus has already entered... Jerusalem, already had Palm Sunday. Jesus goes to the temple. He's just a few days before being executed on the cross. He sees merchants, money changers, salesmen in the temple, and he becomes angry. And he says, my my father's house is not a house of commerce. It's not a house that can be turned into a shopping mall. And he begins to turn over tables. He's angry. There are times when passionate speech is called for. Matthew 23, beginning at the 13th verse and continuing to the end of the chapter. These are the woes, the warnings that Jesus proclaims to the Pharisees. And he begins the first woe, and he begins several others with the words, Woe to you, you hypocrites! Woe to you, those who say one thing and do something else. And he's saying that passionately. 
It's okay to be angry sometimes. Moses got upset after getting the Ten Commandments from the Lord and coming back to the people of Israel, the Israelites, and finding that in the few days that he had been gone, they had completely forgotten everything or seemingly had forgotten everything that they were supposed to be as God's people. And Moses was not happy about that, was angry about that. There are occasions in life that call for anger. But what Paul gives to us, what Paul says to us in God's word, but do not sin. Do not use deadly weapons, deadly words. So, you've got to ask yourself when you're angry, and then the conjunction that goes with that, but do not sin. Is your intent to correct or to insult? Is your intent to offer something constructive or is your intent to attack, to insult? You see, if I go to you and I'm trying to make a point with you and the first words out of my mouth are, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you don't know what you're talking about. If you did know what you were talking about, you wouldn't be doing the dumb things you're doing now. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, with almost 100% certainty, if that's the way I begin the conversation, you're not going to hear another word I say. You're not going to be interested in any suggestion that I might make that could help your behavior. What you're going to be interested in at that point is either defending yourself or counter-attacking. If you think I'm dumb, what about that thing you did last week? How stupid was that? You're not talking at that point about whatever the issue is. That's not even on the table. You're talking about each other. You're attacking each other. And nothing is going to be resolved. Be angry, but do not sin. Is your intent to dialogue, to have conversation, or to destroy? Do you really want to engage in conversation, dialogue, offer constructive criticism if it's called for? Or is your intent to to hold somebody else in contempt that you find them contemptible and therefore you want them to know they're contemptible you want to destroy them you want to belittle them you want them to feel certainly less than you are be angry but do not sin is your intent to dialogue to, some, to come to some kind of meeting of the minds or a deeper understanding of each other or to destroy. 
Ask yourself the question, do you know when to stop? When you're in a conversation with somebody that is elevating in its intensity, where voices are getting louder, where you're shouting over each other. Be watching television, uh, any one of the cable news channels, and watch one of those uh, one of the news talk shows. Whatever you know, whatever is is re- resolved in in any of those shows, the the volume gets higher and higher. People are talking over each other. Several people are talking at the same time. We might find it entertaining. Everybody likes to watch a train wreck. We need to remember it's television. The purpose of television is to get you to watch, not necessarily give you information. We'd like to think that's what it's for. But ask yourself, how often are you informed after hearing four people shout at each other for 30 minutes? When your conversation elevates to the point where it's starting to get out of control, do you know when to stop? Disagreement, dialogue, can, can lead to deeper understanding. You remember the story of Nicodemus in John, the third chapter, before Jesus gives that great John 3.16, God so loved the world that Whoever so believe, who, who believes in me, whosoever believes in me, shall not perish but have eternal life. Before we get to that great statement, there's a conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is trying to understand. He's trying to learn. And Jesus is trying to teach him. At the end of that conversation, before Jesus gives the John 3.16 statement, John 3.16 moment. Nicodemus leaves, walks away. There's nothing in that, in that dialogue that suggests that Nicodemus, right at that moment, right at that time, decided to become a follower of Jesus. Nothing. Jesus explains what, what he is about, what Nicodemus needs to do. And the dialogue ends. But in John 7, Nicodemus returns with deeper understanding. He defends Jesus before the council of Pharisees, before the Sanhedrin. He defends him. We need to listen to this guy. I think he's got something important to say. Don't be too quick to judge. Don't be too quick to condemn. He defends him. And then in the 19th chapter of John, Nicodemus appears again. And he's there to help bury Jesus. But it all starts with a dialogue, a discussion, a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Don't let the sun go down on your anger what the next verse says and we hear that so often it's like a proverb now people say it all the time they don't even know it comes from the bible if somebody's angry somebody's mad uh it it wouldn't be unusual for somebody to say well you shouldn't let the sun go down on 
you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we take that as wisdom. We take that. We hear that. And, I, and I'd say that probably a lot of folks have a clue that that actually is in the Bible. Just wait. Maybe another lesson to learn here. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Call time out. If you feel like it's elevating, maybe it's time for somebody to suggest, you know, we, we disagree. It's clear we disagree. Maybe we just need to step back a minute. Maybe we need to give ourselves some time to, to breathe. Maybe we need to sleep on it. James in the first chapter, the 19th verse says, don't let, uh, you know, be slow to anger, slow to speak. Reflect a little bit before you open your mouth and let the first thing that's in your head come out of, you know, out of your mouth. James says, be slow. You know, be slow to do that. Call time out. What happens when in a game when timeout's called, everything stops. There's a discussion on the sideline. We usually don't know what that is. Game's replayed. You know, the game starts again. But you step back a little bit. You try to get a grasp on what it is that you're actually trying to do. You step back from it. And you don't leave the issue hanging. You do come back to it. You do attempt to resolve it. As part of that resolution, you've got to be able to forgive. Forgiveness is crucial. It doesn't happen. Resolution, compromise, coming together doesn't happen. Unless you have the capacity to forgive, and it's only through God's strength that you'll have that capacity in some cases. Just remember that bitterness, letting the sun go down on your anger, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. Your bitterness will destroy you. It may destroy somebody else, but it will ultimately destroy you. Forgiveness, healing, is as much for the person who forgives as it is for the person being forgiven. God calls us to do that, to forgive. Remember that compromise, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Compromise is not a dirty word. In our tradition, our faith tradition in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, we say three things about ourselves. In essentials, unity, and we have quite a a range of discussion about what the essentials are. But in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, diversity. In all things, charity. Compromise is not a dirty word. And remember that when you compromise... When you make that decision together with a friend, with your spouse, with whomever it may be, that if it goes, uh, goes well, or whether it fall, you know, the decision uh, ends up being a bad one. You've made it together, you own it together. It's never the occasion for saying, I told you so. Either way, for the person who finds out that they were right, or for the person who says, uh, or who, for the person who thinks it will go wrong. 
Compromise, true compromise, means you own the decision together. You've decided not to let the sun go down on your anger. This is the decision that you've made, and you go with it, and you move on. Sometimes you, you have to step back from the cliff. Do not make room for the devil. Hunter Thompson was a uh, writer, columnist, novelist for a number of years. He committed suicide several years ago. He wrote for the Rolling Stone uh, countless numbers of articles. In reflection upon his death, Thompson was not a believer. His first wife, Sandy Conklin Thompson, Tom, Thompson, wrote this after his death. He was, on the one hand, extremely loving and tender, brilliant and exciting, generous and kind. On the other end of the spectrum, and he was full spectrum, he was extremely cruel. I will never forget something Hunter once said to me. In one of his tender moments, I asked him if he knew when he was about to become the monster. And he said, Sandy, it's like this. I sense it first, and before I've completely turned around, there he is. He is me. Don't make room for the devil. Step back from the cliff. If you sense it's getting out of control, call time out. Step back. Don't walk off the edge. Don't destroy yourself, someone else in the process. Don't make room for the devil. I've heard people say, and I probably said it somewhere myself along, along the way, that's just the way I am. As a justification for maybe something they've, they've done, maybe they've blown their, you know, blown their top, or maybe they've been unreasonable about something, whatever. And so the justification, the rationalization, that's just the way I am. As if, okay, well, okay, that's just the way you are. We'll just let you be that way. Well, don't come to church just as you are. Sing old hymns like Just As I Am and leave just as you were. Jesus calls us, calls you to new birth. John, the third chapter, verse 7, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. You've got to become new. You've got to be born of the Spirit. Ephesians the fourth chapter, 20, verse 22 and 23. You were taught to put away your former, former life, your old self, corrupt and diluted, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And I clothed yourself, clothed yourself with a new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and faith. Don't settle for, that's just the way I am. 
God did not send his son into this world so that you and I could say, that's just the way I am. Jesus calls you to receive God's grace and to become the person that God wants you to be in Christ Jesus. Let us pray.